everybody and welcome to this special edition of free thinking with Montel and today's guest is the senior advisor to Montel Media Group Jonathan Franks who also runs and is CEO of Lucid Strategies and he's been you know with us quite a bit Jonathan's back because both of us had so much to say about last night's debate if that's what you want to call it I don't know if I'll call it that but last night's debacle is probably the better term to use for this um you know, one of the things that, that struck me just so right dead upside my head was from the second that I turned it on, in the first five minutes, the first thought that I had is the world is watching this. Do these guys not understand that the rest of the world is tuning in and watching America grovel at the lowest depths of any country I've ever seen? Even Putin doesn't do this. He at least lies and, and puts on a fake face when he's asked questions about whether or not he's attempted to murder his opposition or whether or not he's attempted to, you know, murder and silence or imprison people who are op opposed to him and does it with a smile on his face and acts like he cares about his reputation. Last night just threw me because we had one person who seemed to be on a debate, former Vice President Joe Biden, who was trying his best to reach out to the American people and have a conversation on the issues that he believed that they strongly believe in and want to hear about. And we had another person who showed up at this debate as if he was showing up in the backyard of an elementary school, having been, you know, spit on in first period and waited all day till the end of school to go to the backyard and try to pick a fight with, the guy who he thought spit on him and it wasn't even the right guy. So he just decided I'm just going to go out in the backyard and scream and be as loud as I can and intimidate as much as I can and be as, as ignorant as I can, because at the end of the day, it'll at least boost my persona of being the biggest bully in town. And if last night's debate was supposed to be focused on trying to convince independent voters that they want to see one candidate's opinions over another. I think at the end of the debacle, you walked away not with a winner, with a clear loser, another candidate who I think, you know, in Biden's case, I don't think he helped himself, but I really don't believe he hurt himself. I think in the case of the president, I believe that his performance was such that for those that were on the fence, he did not do anything whatsoever to get them to pick a side of the fence and jump off on and left people bewildered. And in some cases, I think left people saying, screw this, I'm not even going to participate. Well, probably a lot of people who, you know, after the first 15 minutes and probably felt the same way I did, because in the first 15 minutes, I kept going, if this does not change, I got to cut this crap off. I cannot, I can't sleep with this angst in my heart. Uh, after this is all over. And I was getting ready to cut it off and getting ready to cut it off, but I didn't. I said, no, 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 let me do my civic duty and stick around just to see. And then I'm glad that I did because I think if anybody hasn't gotten it yet, you got Donald Trump 100% last night. There is no other man here. That wasn't Donald angry. That wasn't Donald upset because he feels like he's being mistreated. 
That's Donald Trump. That is the guy that you voted for four years ago that you put in office that you accepted and said, I will look beyond, maybe I will, or maybe I'll look supportively to some of what we call his foibles. However, they were all on display last night in clear, absolutely unadulterated, unfiltered. That's who is the man who's running the free world. A man who, by the way, let's make sure we all remember, has his finger that close to a button. At any point in time, if he feels that way about anybody else in the world, he can just go ink. And the next thing you know, we're all eating out of trash cans. And I think, you know, the way he answered his question last night in support of white supremacists makes me feel as if I've asked this question a million times before. At the end of the day, what is it that these angry people want? Is it that you want to live sometime, you know, I used to think back when I was a kid that it's really crazy how society seems to live up to science fiction. And right now we're living in a world that seems to want to live up to Mad Max, where, you know, you have survivalists that are running around eating out of trash cans, you know, and, and shooting anybody in sight that they see that they think is against their ability to eat out of a trash can. I, I I wonder what is it that these people want, but what they clearly got was the go-ahead last night. And the president was asked how he felt about white supremacists. For him to say, you know, stand down and stand by, those are really poignant, particular words that were chosen. He didn't say stand down and stop. He didn't say I don't support them whatsoever. He didn't even take the opportunity to answer the question the way it was posed then. He just said, stand by. And stand back. Stand back and stand by. So I wish he had said stand down. Right. Stand back. And so what does I don't the hell does stand back mean? What's that mean, John? Does that mean make sure you're around with your guns over your shoulder, ready to Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Really? Do I think that that's what he meant? No. Um, like Tim Scott, I think he misspoke, right? He doesn't prepare. He doesn't read. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I think he misspoke. I think he got caught off guard, didn't know what to say, and said, stand back and stand by, or whatever it was, right? And now the Proud Boys immediately turned that into a new slogan, a new logo, and they've been trending on Twitter, you know, for 24 hours now. Right. They've gotten more attention in the past 24 hours because of Donald's inability to prepare for a debate. Right. Than they have in the past couple of years that they've been around. And let's explain this to people so people understand. The Proud Boys is an organization that at best has maybe 2000 followers around the country. Correct. Oh, gosh, I'd be surprised if it was even a thousand at this point. Right there. You know, um, they have an interesting foundational story about being a male sort of show you know chauvinist male social club right but you know that even if that's not bad enough in and of itself right they're opening they were founded on a notion of anti-semitism right they are not big fans of non-white people right they are half of the chaos problem in, in portland right and you know many of them are under indictment for a mass brawl they started in new york city a year and a half ago right these are not good people this is a terrorist group right and this morning, I guess one of their websites put, put a, a headline out that said, you know, far-right Proud Boys rally after Trump's debate defense. And I'm going to say it, fuck them up. What does that mean? Does that mean that now they think that the president has given them the okay to 
go ahead and completely just, you know, wreak havoc. And again, let's go back to that question that I posed before you jumped in. And that is, what is the end goal? Do we want to live in some dystopia world where people get to carry guns and shoot anybody on sight? Is that what it is? No, I don't think they really want it. Like, I think a lot of his voters don't know what they want, right? They're angry at the certain various different circumstances and have come together, right? Sometimes angry about stuff that's true, sometimes stuff that's made up, right? What I'm amazed by is so many of them are posting things like today. How could anybody be proud of any candidate, right? Like, you know, last night, right? They got the candidate they paid for, that they voted for, the America that they, this is the America that they voted for. And what I don't see is any of them out there saying, gosh, right? This isn't my America, right? They voted for this. Whether they, do I think all of them realize they voted like this? And do many of them not conduct their personal lives in such an obscene fashion? That's true, right? But they voted for this, right? And and that then says to me, especially not only did they vote for this, but they've continued to support this now over the first three years and looks like they're so supportive all the way through to the end of this term. This is what they want. This I don't know if it's what they want because I think you're right. I don't think they know what they want, right? What they, what they want, you know, I mean, if you ask them, right, they'll say no matter, you know, how humiliating his behavior, no matter how crazy the stuff he says is, right, he fights and that's what they like. Right. And they have been living in a parallel universe since about 2007 with the Tea Party. Right. Remember all those posters of Obama and Mrs. Obama as, as, as monkeys. Right. Like these were this started out the whole, the whole MAGA thing started out racist back then. It's still racist today. And some of them seem seriously surprised that this was so obscene last night. Right. I think it offended a lot of people. I think it turned off women. Um, I think it probably, probably has cost the president the election. I, I Now, you know, here I go. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you, my friend. But I got to tell you, this morning, you know, I sat at the, on the couch drinking my coffee with my wife and looking at her Facebook page and looking at some of her friends and peers, you know, that a lot of people don't know. My wife happens to be a, a flight attendant, and mm-hmm. she's been fortunate to not have to fly on a regular basis in the last couple of months because of the CARES Act and some other things. And the way they have done scheduling, she's been able to manipulate her schedule in a way that she hasn't had to fly. But there are people who are, you know, these are those people who paid more taxes than this guy, literally, who are still in support of this guy. I'm completely blown away by those who woke up this morning and thought that he gave a good performance. I turned over a change of channel last night. Um, I think I had my feed was on one cable network. I went to a different cable network. And I literally thought I was in another world. I, I, I did, did I all of a sudden hit a button that, you know, flashed me to Mars rather than to a separate channel because the people who were pundits on that channel saw that debate entirely different than the way I saw it. I don't think they did. I think that they were engaging in performance art, right? Like, I think most of these people that are on TV are smart enough to know what they watched last night, right? And I think most voters are yeah. smart enough. Stupid enough. They're smart enough to know what they watch, but they're stupid enough to go ahead and give it a positive spin and turn around and blame the entire fiasco on Joe Biden, where I, I, I don't know that I would call it stupid. I would call it sort of selling out, right? Selling out for money, right? They're performing, they're doing performance art. You know, a lot of these pundits are making six figures a year being pundits, right? Not a very hard job. You can do it from your house, right? There's a whole, it's just like getting a show in the entertainment business, right? There's an uptick in business after you get on one of these networks, right? 
So the, the financial advantage is to sit there and tell the party line. That's what they're doing. So it's corrupt. I mean, I would use the word corrupt and then intentionally misleading. But clearly their viewers like to get a message that way rather than, so that's how, you know, something like that would happen last night doesn't have an effect on the election. I, you know, I, I wanted to agree with you. I sent you a note right after it ended. I said, you know what, this probably didn't hurt Joe Biden. I don't know if it helped him, but I know it didn't hurt him. But this probably did hurt Donald Trump. That was my original thought. I thought this. I think you're right. I thought it would hurt him, but I woke up this morning. And I don't think it's hurt Trump at all. I believe. Well, and again, like it's always it, it, it's it's a, um, you know, Fox News, Newsmax, OANN are never going to say he did anything bad. That's never going to happen. Right. But I think a lot of ordinary viewers that aren't remember only like one, two, three million people are watching cable news at any one time. Right. So I think it's a small subset of the country that's watching Argue Vision all day. And, you know, um, I, it, it, people saw that last night, people who voted for Trump and said, this is not the America. I, I would not let my kids behave like this. I would not let my husband behave like this. I would not let, you know, this is not how many of these people behave right in their real lives. So yes, have they been conveniently burying their head on the sand? Because that is something that is a, a, a sort of um, common underpinning in the today's Republican party, right? It's sort of, you know, let's bury our head in the sand and hope everything's okay. And say that the reason we're doing so is like some virtue of limited government, right? Like it, it, it did, um, you know, they've been buried in the, you know, they've had their heads buried in the sand on purpose. And last night the Band-Aid got ripped off and some of them didn't like it. I mean, I watched, uh, again, I was watching, I was flipping around. I kept just hitting channel after channel after channel, trying to see if I could find something to let me go to sleep and not have, you know, angst in my heart when I went to sleep. But I ended up, of course, falling back to, you know, the discussions. And I, I fell on one channel where, you know, former Senator Rick Santorum, who I believe, I, I, you know, I had him on my show years and years ago and thought he was a weirdo then when he was on my show. There was something really bizarrely strange about this guy and his interaction with other people. He was, I just thought there was something off. But last night, I literally couldn't believe my ears when I heard him try to justify uh, what Trump was saying about the uh, white supremacists. Well, I was surprised that Rick criticized him at all. And he did. He didn't really, did he really criticize him? I think yeah. he, was, he was on a panel with three people who were kicking him in the tail. So it was not. I think he told, I think Rick told the truth last night. Trump has this thing where he will not say anything bad about people who support them, even if they're David Duke, even if it's, excuse me, Gavin McNinnis in the Proud Boys. I mean, he just is incapable, right? So he had, he may very well have made an election costing mistake, right? Because he was afraid to afford, you know, um, offend like a thousand idiots. To get a million votes. There's not, yeah, I mean, his voters don't support the Proud Boys in, in, in any sort of large numbers once they've read what the Proud Boys are about, right? Like the notion that these people well, are keeping got, anybody safe. You say they don't support the Proud Boys, but he's got supporters. Did you see them at his rallies who literally carrying the Q sign? And excuse me, if you can believe that there are people out here drinking little baby's blood, then I think you can believe any. And that's been the, sort of the, the, what we've learned from all this, right? Is that people have bought, there's 40% of the country, well, maybe 30% of the country that has bought a spell, right? They've drank, it's not just drinking Kool-Aid. They've been conned, right? There's 
some subset of those people that every time he does something awful or embarrasses them or makes them look like ignorance for voting for him, right? They say, please, sir, can, you ha can I have some more? And then there's another set of them that are disgusted, but not disgusted enough, disgusted enough to vote against him because they're somehow more afraid of a Joe Biden world than they are a Trump world, right? These folks are operating off of fear and emotion, and we have to remember that. This isn't logic, right? They are incredibly emotionally attached to Trump in a way that people that voted for Obama or any other candidate in our lifetimes have not. Yeah, well, you know, let's, let's, let's break down a little bit of it if we can. Let's just back up a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, early on, you know, some of the, the initial questions that, you know, they were asking, and I think Chris Wallace, first off, I was really kind of shocked at the fact that I thought because of Chris Wallace's other interview with the president, he had, you know, at least the wherewithal to be able to keep the discussion you know, concise and get the guys to answer the question. I was surprised that he waited till the 45, 47 minute mark before he actually stepped in and said, Mr. President, you agreed to these rules, so why won't you follow the rules? And let the president get away with the answer that he had right then was like, screw those rules, I'm gonna do what I want. It's basically right. the same, right? Right, and you know, yes, there was a weak moderator, right? I'm surprised that Chris was so weak. I'm not sure any moderator in America could have contained that because Trump's people have told Trump, right, that his little clapbacks to Hillary and following her around the stage, right, were surprisingly effective, right? That that was true with Hillary. People don't like Hillary, right? Is it, you know, she has majority unfavorables. That's not true of Joe Biden. People know who Joe Biden is. He can't define Joe Biden, right? So sitting there doing these little you know, snipes and the nastiness. And you could tell when his sort of narcissism or borderline personality disorder or whatever it is would kick in and he would just start spitting venom and lies, right? Because he had lost control of his emotions at that point, right? I watched that thing and I actually thought in the first 30 minutes, Trump was doing much better than I expected, right? And I, I, I honestly, I'm not one to throw things out like this, but I think Trump was on AED medicine last night. Well, you know what I mean? And he, he was the one who offered the, the opportunity to take a drug test. I think that now after it's over, somebody needs to give him a drug test because I think there was... But, but look at how different the exchanges were, right? There were ones in which he didn't take the bait maturely, right? Where he said stupid stuff, right? But it was credible, right? Especially right at the beginning. I thought he had some moments where he looked more confident than Joe in the first 30 minutes. And then he predictably lied. He, got, he took the bait. I remember when it was. He took the bait in the second hour, right? And everything went to hell in a handbasket because he lost control of his emotions, right? And well, that's the problem when you talk about the button. I think he took the bait when Chris Wallace corrected him and tried to get him to stop. He got really pissed off thinking that Chris Wallace was trying to turn the tide towards Biden. And he wanted to make sure that nobody's going to stop me from doing what I want to do. And the oh, yeah. You saw the narcissism, right? You saw the um a classic narcissistic reaction where he would make Joe Biden you're this uh Portland I'm gonna mow everybody right his head was about to explode right and that's when he lost control and that's when he lost the debate and I posted last night debates are one in prep right Trump we are where we are right now because Trump didn't prepare right like and the only thing he can do and the only thing he knows how to do by default is snipe be nasty troll right He's just not smart enough or competent enough to have a substantive discussion. He doesn't know the substance. Right. 
And that was that was very clear on every single topic that was brought up. He didn't, he just blatantly made things up, anything that he felt like he could say. I was <laughs> back and I think that, you know, the younger voters out there and those who again, who were on the fence had to have been really completely thrown by his answers over the climate. I, and I, I was blown away when he said that, you know, we, uh, the problem is that, you know, there's no forest management and the lands that are on fire are federal lands that should have been managed by this president. It's, it's, I, I guess he's having calls with the Finns again, suggesting that, they, you know, we wreck the forests, right? But just so you know, like, it's interesting you brought that forest thing up again, right? You mentioned Finland, right? We have a friend that, uh, you know, has taken her kids, you know, her wife is a, you know, is Finnish, and they've taken their kids back to Finland to go to school where they don't have to wear masks, because why? They haven't had, like, a new infection in a week, right? Like, and, you know, so... Um, I, part of the reason the world is laughing at us is not only we let the virus get out of control, right? We have this clown for a president, right? And I'm glad that Joe said that. I think that resonated in Scranton. I think that resonated in a lot of blue collar communities um, around the country, right? Like, um, I, I, you know, I, it took me a minute to figure out what to make of this debate when I stopped watching it because it was so intense, right? But I think, you know, a lot of, I feel badly that a lot of kids, right, don't have a clear memory of how the American system is supposed to work, right? A lot of these kids were born after 9-11, right? They're born after 9-11. You know, they may have watched the Obama-Romney debate, which was pretty nice. You know, it was pretty, you know, obviously the Obama-McCain debate was perfectly genteel, right? But they, they don't have an example of how government's supposed to work, right? They know trolling on social media, right? So they abhor racism, this generation. They're not into the discriminating against LGBTQ people. And they sit here and listen to this and goes, this is stupid, right? And then they go to themselves, okay, why are my parents for this, right? And then, you know, um, one, I've never understood, for instance, Trump's war with black athletes, right? Because these, every time LeBron James speaks, right, he loses a generation of voters, Right. These are kids that, that they're not interested in racism. They may live in all white areas. Right. But, you know, they're pretty free thinking. Right. They like LeBron. They like I mean, they don't understand a battle with black athletes. Right. They don't understand why he's shouting out hate groups. They don't understand why they can't have normal school. Right. But, you know, we have all summer to prepare and we've done nothing to keep, you know, normal school running. Nothing. So. Like, I think kids especially are justifiably angry at the chaos, right? They may not love their choices, but I think, you know, to more and more young people, right, it's clear who the choice is, right? Like, and all this talk about packing the Supreme Court, about, um, you know, making Puerto Rico and D.C. states, right, just to sort of rub it in the eye of Republicans, right? I'm actually in favor of both of those things if things get out of control, but, right, it's not helping right now. Like, I thought Senator Harris's response to the debate last night was right on point, right? And it was calm, cool, collected, and expressed with no emotion. And I think Americans are looking for a non-emotional sort of leader to listen to that isn't making stuff up, that is listening to experts, that and then whose campaign manager isn't getting arrested in the middle of the night by the Fort Lauderdale police for you know, getting drunk and trying to kill himself with a firearm. I, I agree with you that uh, I listened to uh, Senator Harris's response 
last night and, and thought that was probably one of the best presentations that she has done in this entire campaign because uh, she did look at it objectively and looked at it not as if she was the running mate of the person that was on the stage being belittled and berated, but she looked at it as if she was a voter. And I thought that was really very powerful on her part. Let me do this. I gotta take a little break, gotta pay some bills. Uh, you've been listening to Free Thinking with Montana. Our guest today happens to be the president and CEO of Lucid Strategies, Mr. Jonathan Price, who's also one of our is the top uh, uh, advisor to Montel Media Group. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more on Jonathan. We're talking about last night's debate. Make sure you catch the rest of Free Thinking with Montel. We'll be back right after this. Hey everybody, it's Montel. Welcome back to Free Thinking with Montel, where today's guest is Mr. Jonathan Franks, who's the president and CEO of Lucid Strategies and the senior advisor to Montel Media Group. And we've been talking about, you know, what I think is on everybody's mind right now, and that was the debate last night and the consequences. And let's talk a little bit more about consequences, John. I think, again, if you listen to the pundits and the punditry of the morning and you listen to the punditry last night after it was over, it was pretty evenly split. I mean, I think, you know, those who were the supporters at 30% that support, so really, I guess the numbers is approval rate is 40%. So let's say the 40% that support Donald Trump and will run off the cliff like a lemming weren't moved last night. They were, I think some of them were pretty happy that he, you know, showed his ass, if you uh, put it that way. But they were happy about it because they felt like, at least by showing his ass, nobody's talking today about Biden having won the debate which I think was really, you know, something that Trump may have, you know, give us a little bit of a glimmer into before the debates even began, because I think he was kind of trying to say that, you know, Biden may do okay, but whatever. He was going to do whatever he had to do so that he controls the conversation today. So by him showing his ass last night, no big deal. He didn't lose anybody, but you're not talking about Biden. We're not talking about how well Biden did or Biden did anything well. We're just talking about Trump. Right. And yeah. And, you know, Montel, I think um, I think his strategy going in was to try and make Biden lose his cool. I think he largely failed in that. I think a lot of what we saw last night was a was a misinformed strategy, right? A lazy strategy to trigger Biden, right? I don't think it worked. And you know, I think we all have to be asking ourselves tonight, what are we getting out of this, right? Like, what are we getting out of continuing to have this clown show running the show, right? Like, nobody in rural America is doing better because of this clown, right? Whether they want to admit it or not, right? They jumped off a cliff like a bunch of lemmings, right? They know this, most of these people know that this behavior is wrong, right? Yes, is there the, the, the freak show that, you know, sends bombs to CNN, like the, 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 what you would really call the irredeemable set, right? Like the ones that travel around to his rallies, like they're, you know, concerts, like they're groupies for rock bands, right? Like, I, I, what do we want? Like, what, what is, how have we let the country get to the point where these people, right, are, we've allowed these people to get sucked into an echo chamber, lied to and manipulated over like a decade long period, and then, Suddenly, we're all those of us like you and me are surprised that people go out and vote for a clown, a racist, right, a pervert, right, and you know think themselves smart and pious because of it, right? They've been lied to for so long on Facebook, on Fox News, and the rest, right? 
that they don't know up from down when it comes to politics, right? Because they've been lied to. And they clearly enjoy lies. So now, if you were Joe Biden or those advising him, would you even want to participate in the next two debates? Yes, because not participating is worse than participating. But I think maybe, you know, maybe we ought to suggest and fire off an idea that I got a way to, to settle this, honestly, to tell you the truth. Don't put them in the same location. They should be in two separate locations. The moderator should be in the third location. And you should ask one question of one, let them go for two minutes, hit a bell. Ding, 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 so loud that you can't be heard over it. That stops that person's conversation. Let the other person answer two minutes. Ding, 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 ding. Then one five minutes to respond to one answer, five minutes to respond to the next answer, then do it again. If Trump didn't have Biden to look at, he wouldn't have anything that all he would do is just stand there for five minutes and lie. Right. I think, you know, those lies could be very easily fettered out and, 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 you know, people would understand what's going on, but to have them in the same room is literally like, you know, putting some, you know, sulfur on the floor with some gunpowder and throwing a match. Yep. That's, um, I, I don't think either campaign would agree to those terms, but you know, um, I, I think that the vice presidential debate will go better, right? Because both Senator Harris and Pence are capable of emotional maturity, right? Like, and I think then Trump is probably going to take this all in. He's not, I don't think he's that divorced from reality and he doesn't know he did badly. He certainly knew he did badly when Brian Kilmeade said so on Fox and Friends this morning, right? He was watching. Um, so when you've lost Fox and Friends, you're kind of, you know, um, so I, I think he may take a different tact in the next debate, realizing this was too hot. Now, if he figures out how to turn this down 50%, might be more effective, but I don't think he can do it because I don't think he can control his emotions in real time. Especially, you know, that he was laying in wait for the entire debate to try to figure out a way to take a shot at President Biden's son. And, you know, as somebody in recovery, right, I'm not going to lie. We're, we're sorry. I mean, to cut you off and I know what I suppose to, but as somebody in recovery where we have a large percentage of America in recovery right now. Oh, ahead. sure. But to take a stab at Hunter Biden's drug problem is like making fun of somebody for having cancer, right? Now, do I think Hunter Biden made some questionable decisions? Yeah, right? I'm sitting here 13 years sober. Right. From the time I was 12 or 13 years old to the time I was 26, I made innumerable bad decisions like this. Right. So I think you did, you know, but attacking the hunter like that. Right. And, and Hunter's not a very lovable guy. I'll admit that. Right. But, you know, neither is Don Jr. Right. Don Jr. is one of the dumbest individuals like in the family. Oh. Eric's not much better. Right. Nobody was taking shots at them last night. Nobody was taking shots at, you know, Princess Ivanka's $100,000 hair bill or a $750,000 fake consulting contract. It's a felony tax fraud. Like, so I thought that didn't work, right? And yes, some of these people have dogmatically heard about Hunter Biden, but I think Joe's response that, yeah, my son did have a drug problem was a good response. Like so many of you out there who have been suffering with this, he, he looked right in the camera. I thought that was really such a good retort from him. 
Yeah, and look, you know, one thing about drug addicts, right, is we don't get a we don't get a gold medal from running out of a burning building. We don't get forgiveness for all the harm we cause just by getting sober, right? So Hunter Biden, in a, in a lot of senses, well, I don't think these attacks are appropriate or okay. He laid his bed, right, and he knows that. So you know, um, he left himself open to these criticisms by being sloppy and by being a dopey. So. You know, I hope he gets and stays sober. If he's not sober now, I have no idea. But I thought that was one piece of the debate where Trump lost, like objectively lost. It was a have you no decency, sir, moment. Yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, I, I was listening to a pundit on one of the cable channels who said that he had just gotten a text from a friend who said that their sixth grade child was sitting and watching the first 10 minutes of debate and got up and left the room crying because she couldn't understand what is America's politics? I think that when you were talking about earlier, you know, this the impression that was left last night to those who are just now entering the process, 18 year olds who are going to have an opportunity to vote. I think that they literally were completely blown away last night by this and disgusted at the behavior of our president. But I want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. The world was watching this. I, if I were a leader of another country, and I'm not talking about the ones that have been in the news from China to South Korea to, to Iran or Russia, I'm talking about, you know, I don't know, Spain, I'm talking about, you know, Colombia, I'm talking about countries around the world. I'd be like, are you kidding me? If that guy gets reelected, let's not do any business there at all. This is really insane. I think they were guffawing at it, looking at it in horror, right? I think most of these countries have intelligence services that have profiled Trump. So I think a lot of these world need, leaders understand who and what he is and have for some time, right? I think the only people that learned something last night about who he is was his own voters, right? And I find myself constantly having to explain to people, right, who tell me, you know, I've dealt with Trump when we were getting Tom, Tim Marizia. This is who Trump is. You gave him an hour on your show in about 1996 and turned his second book, The Art of the Comeback, into a bestseller without your show and that boost. It's unclear to me if he's here today, right? Like, and, you know, nobody who knows him is surprised by this behavior, right? And we got through a whole night, I think, Trump's attacks and whatever. He's jumpy about his tax returns, right? The New York Times has him, but hasn't published the actual documents, right? Um, You know, he knows he's staring down. He's known for a long time. He's staring down a tax fraud conviction, right? So one great way to never talk about the tax fraud is to inject chaos in a debate, by being an asshole the entire time. And what do you think of the argument that, excuse me, a lot of Republicans have about, well, we've already litigated this. It wasn't litigated. The fact, that's been a, a statement that I've heard over and over again. You know, the public litigated this when they voted him as president back four years ago. They well, made, I think the public, there's some truth to that. The public did, you know, anybody with a brain realized he was never going to release his tax returns, right? So, and anybody with a brain realized why he's lying about being rich and he's been cheating on taxes for decades, right? So, like, yeah, I mean, yes, has it been litigated? I mean, the senator, my senator, my junior senator, Mike Braun, who is not who I thought should be representing the state, said something interesting the other day. He said, well, now that it's out there, the president's going to have to address it. And I'm sitting there going, okay, does that mean you knew he paid $750 in taxes a year? Or does that mean, like... You're mad that it got out, so now he has to address it. You would have rather just kept your head buried. Well, I mean, I think the thing about $750 in taxes is, is a little bit of a nebulous thing in a way, just slightly only because 
you know, he's claiming that that was his personal taxes, not his corporate taxes, that he spent millions of dollars. Nobody knows if that's true. And then you also take a look at the fact that he has paid more taxes to foreign entities than he's paid to his own country. And again, some of that is probably legitimate tax loopholes. Like, but paying, you know, creating a shell co with Ivanka, right, to transfer money out of two, taxable income out of two entities, right, and, and you know, kind of launder them across to a third entity, right, and, you know, provide her a no-work contract for three-quarters of a million dollars, right, to, to, so you don't pay taxes in that money, right, that's playing hide a cup, right, with the IRS, and it's illegal. So it's not just about that he used a good tax avoidance strategy. It's the stuff that's actually fraud that I think needs to be discussed and litigated. It's a very interesting. I just got this uh, this on my uh, Apple News uh, sent me an uh, email. Says the first debate was a train wreck. Wreck. Here's what we know. Last night, President Trump and Joe Biden faced off for the first in the first presidential debate of the election season. Here's a recap of his key moments. And they were talking about it being bitter, chaotic, unprecedented, key moments from both Trump and Biden. And again, I, I just stop and think, this is what the world saw last night. I mean, how do we how do we as a nation overcome this? I've seen written lately in the last couple of days articles about how we may never be able to regain our footage or our footing in the world and our status in the world. What do you think? I think we have some work to do here at home before we worry about that, right? We have a country that is at war with itself, right? We are fighting a war again. And remember, a lot of this acrimony is artificially stoked by state actors with a variety of motives from backing Trump to taking out Trump to just creating chaos, right? And a lot of this nonsense that Trump voters read on their Facebook feeds, right, where they get their news is quite frankly, bullshit, right? Like, and you know, so it's no surprise that folks are so uninformed and don't really understand. That's why I say we have a crisis of maturity and an epidemic of ignorance in the country, right? And if we can't, we've got to get everybody back to a sane set of facts, right? And, you know, um, putting um, um, we're seeing the results of division as a strategy, right? Like the whole, he has nothing else to offer other than validating people's anger. Right. And that's why he's voting. He's validating people's anger. He's telling them it's okay to feel like this. Right. It's, it's not as dirty and gross as the Democrats think that you're so scared of black people moving into town. Right. It's, you know, it, it's, he's opened Pandora's box because a couple of thousand hardcore racists like him. And he's that ego driven and that narcissistic that he can't pause and say, okay, there's only about a thousand proud boys. They don't matter in the election. They vote in Oregon generally, right? Where he's not going to win anyway. So who cares about pissing off the proud boys? Who is he going to lose pissing off the proud boys compared to who he risks losing by giving them a shout out, right? Women, independents, fair-minded people, people with IQs over 80, like, you know, um, but yet his narcissism is so profound, right? That, you know, he bathes in the adoration of these people. And because he can't get anybody legitimate or significant, right? And one of the things that really bothers me about this, right? Is he treats these people that voted for him badly. They are all in 
for him, right? Emotionally, right? You tell them Trump did something wrong and they're taking it as a criticism of themselves because they're so emotionally vested in him, right? Which is completely unhealthy. And, you know, he lies to them. He's been stealing from them, right? By not paying taxes, right? And, if, you know, um, their response is always, please, sir, I want some more. But and stealing from them by actually taking money out of the budget and paying for, you know, hotel rooms and things like that, paying himself. I mean, he's he's literally paying himself through you make forcing, you know, foreign entities to stay in his hotels when they come to town. People are gonna say, Well, you're not forcing them. They made a choice. It's a force. Come on. Well, <laughs> and just look at the prices that the Secret Service is paying in his hotels, especially Mar-a-Lago, right? You and I stay in some pretty darn nice hotels, and I can't remember the last time. We intentionally paid $500 a night for a hotel room. Right. Right. And he's charging the Secret Service five, $700 a night. And he's using, uh, that's basically kind of using the U.S. budget as his own personal checkbook. Yeah. And like, you know, and um, for what? Right. And a lot of the problem is these folks have grown up. You vote Republican. You vote Republican. The Democrats have no values. Abortion, guns, blah, blah, blah. Right. And... You know, so they, they, they are willing to take any dose that the Republican Party offers them, right? And there are Democrats that do the same thing. It's just Democrats are a little less rah, rah, rah around the leader, right? It's just not ingrained well. They live in, you know, um, and like, you know, I don't understand sort of at what point I would like to see these people say, stop, you will behave. We have invested in you. And if you don't stop the misbehavior, we're done. And we're going to let you lose. And we're going to, you know, to him, losing means going to prison. So, like, you know, why not say stop stealing from us? Stop being lazy and do your damn job, right? You told us you wanted the job. You told us to be the greatest and we get tired of the winning. Where's the winning, right? All of a sudden, that might inspire him to be better, right? But, but we haven't gotten that far. But don't you think the winning was the fact that he brought it up? I, I can't remember the exact number, but the fact that the Obama administration – left when they left office left a couple hundred hundred and twenty something uh judges seats open that needed to be filled and so he's jumped in and now put in close to 300 judges i think and plus now he's got an opportunity to put a justice on the supreme court for many people that was winning because that helps to preserve this last stand that these hating hating people have well and again i don't think amy Bear. Excuse me, Amy Coney Barrett is hateful. I don't. Some of her opinions I like. Um, some of her academic her academic writings fascinate me, right? She's that smart, right? I disagree with her, but she's that smart, right? So I don't think that she's a disaster, right? You gotta remember, right? We all went bananas over Neil Gorsuch, right? Um, you know, LGBTQ people have protection in the workplace from being fired because of Neil Gorsuch, right? And um I am not sure, and I'll say this right here, right? I am not sure that Judge Barrett is going to be what these people want her to be, right? I think she does have very strong religious views. I think that's, that's fine, whatever. Like, she seems to be living them in her life, right? She's got big, you know, by all accounts, she's a good person, a good woman. Everybody that's ever worked with her says she works well with others, right? There's a lot of good to her, right? And I think, you know, Republicans may be surprised, right? In the sense that, yes, are they going to get some great pro-business rulings out of her? Are they going to get, are we going to set back some things in the country? Yeah. But 
we're not going to, I don't think, I just don't think we're going to get a flat out overturning of Roe anytime soon because these people that sit on the court, right, they know what overturning Roe will mean. And it's not just about abortion, right? Like, um, and she said that out loud, right? So I, I think that this rush to put people on the court may very well cost in the election, right? And, you know, and I don't understand sort of whether or not the White House understands that this is something that could be done um, after the election. They would have looked good doing it. If it was a lame duck session, not done that in that period. Let me ask you a question, though. Last night, I was really surprised that there was not more time spent on, you know, the elephant in the room, which is the coronavirus, which we are now seeing this morning. You wake up to, I think it's 20 something states having a, you know, 20 to 30 percent increase in the number of cases. I mean, it's not like we have gotten any, made any headway on this thing and we're getting ready to go into the regular flu season. And so we may be looking at a season where it'll be too hard to discern whether or not, you know, you have COVID or you have the new flu or the old flu or, and the numbers are going to keep going up and up and up. President made statements about it seems to be less uh, uh, virulent, which is a lie since we're now, you know, we hit, 4,000 more deaths, right? We're at 204,000 deaths as this morning. Uh, I was really shocked that Biden didn't try to hammer that home. I think he did during the one block that they asked questions about that. I think it was imperfect, right? He needs to be sharper in those criticisms, but I think he zinged them, right? And one of the things that he said, right, making fun of the president saying about the 200,000 deaths, it is what it is. Biden said it is what it is because of who you are. And that's true. Right. And that's what these folks need to realize. Right. But I think there's still places like mine where we're still playing make believe. Right. Where COVID's not a real thing. Ninety nine percent of people recover. Like, I don't want to wear a mask in my personal liberty. And like, are you five years old? You know, like, I just grow up and be an adult. Yeah, I don't get the fact. I don't get this whole thing about personal liberty and wearing a mask. Is it? Is it, I? I have the right to. I, I. I agree. You have personal liberty. You have the right to do whatever you want to yourself. But the fact that your expectorant is what's affecting other people, you don't have a right to do that. So get why they think that you know I'm somehow infringing on your personal rights. You're infringing on mine by not wearing one. Well, and I'll tell you, Montel, one of the things that I'm thinking about, right? And yes, you're right. I'm infringing on people like your rights, right? People who have conditions or are afflicted with, with, with conditions like MS or, or, you know, which is an immune system, you know, like there, um, autoimmune disorders generally, cancer, right? That's why I wear a mask. I have a friend who raged a heroic battle for a premature child, right? Who is now, thank God, living her best life, right? As a, a infant going into being toddler, right? Um, I wear masks because I watched her parents wage a heroic war to save her life when she was a preemie, right? And, you know, I wore my mask yesterday. I was thinking about this as we were going to do this today. I calculated how much time I wore my mask yesterday. I wore my mask for approximately 20 minutes at a store and I wore my mask for about 90 seconds yesterday while a young lady brought out my dinner and put it through my car window so I could take it home, right? My personal liberty was not impacted at all. I was allowed to go where I wanted to go, do what I wanted to do, 
There's not a lot of economic activity that I'm not allowed to engage in here in the state of Indiana, so I'm confused why people are so upset. And, and I'm confused that why people aren't more upset over the idea that Trump is pushing, you know, the CDC and you know, the FDA to cut corners in trying to develop this vaccine that he keeps claiming is going to be here before November 2nd or 3rd that I don't think anybody's going to want to take because they know that they have cut corners. Now, if Moderna's vaccine comes back, right, if if um, AstraZeneca's comes back, right, I will take it, right? Because it's being, the, I've looked actually at the studies yesterday, right, about where these tests are being conducted. Yeah, but it's got to come back after 60 days of being in side of someone you can't say right now right now they are in the middle of their third phase when the third phase is over you have to wait another 60 days to see what the reaction is 60 days from now so whether or not i trust trump right and i don't right i do trust the british national health service i trust the i trust health canada right i i trust a lot of places that are not having this ugly political debate right and i trust a lot of the scientists involved and there's so many places being I will get the vaccine. If a vaccine comes out, I will get it because I think it's my patriotic duty to make sure that I'm not infecting any seniors, any people with conditions like my friend's premature child. Like, I I, I just, um, you know, I will get it. But yes, and I think they're going to have a hell of a time getting people who believe that, you know, still believe that vaccines cause autism, which they do not. you know, to, to put this thing in their arm, right? Like I went and got a flu shot because, you know, I had the flu once when I was 12 and it's not necessary that I have it again. Right. And I almost, I felt awful. I was two weeks, I was out of school. I was asking my mother to take me to the emergency room, yada, yada, yada. Right. And I don't want to ever get it again. So I'm responsible. And I put a shot in my arm every, every August or September. Right. I'm going to do the same with COVID because I really don't want to get COVID because my friends that haven't had it say it's awful. Right. Right. And but like, how do you get that message out? There's a 300 some odd million dollar ad campaign coming up. What the hell is it going to say? Right. right. It's going to be re-election commercials for your leader. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely blown away at the fact that, again, no one challenges when this president says that it's only affecting people with diabetes and old people. When we are looking across the country right now, that 20 percent of all the new cases are people under the age of what, 15, 16, 30. Right. The bar scene ages, Montel, 18 to 25. Right. There's no reason like in a real country. Right. That was being well managed. We, we know that eating, dining food and, and inside bars are spreading this virus. Right. So the reaction, of course, restaurant owners are panicked. They want to get their dining rooms full so they can feed their families. I get that. In a regular country, we would be helping these restaurant owners stay in business under the delivery takeout model, right? So they don't have to lay off anybody. So they don't have to be wondering where their kid's next meal is coming from, right? Like if we want people to engage in good public health behavior, we have to incentivize it. And that's what, you know, um, wearing a mask is about. I mean, mean, we have the relief package that's stuck on the hill and ain't going anywhere anytime soon because we can't agree on how many humans we want to help. Which is, I tell you, really ridiculous in the sense that we've got that relief package stuck. I mean, in the, in the next two or three days, I think they're going to end up having to lay off close to 100,000 people in the flight industry, which is going to be just an absurd impact on business nationally. 
And I think Congress will save the airlines. There's no question, right? My question is, will Congress save Main Street, right? And you're going to have businesses closing, right? Remember, in 1231, we're facing down a epic eviction crisis, right? Because there's been a moratorium on evictions, but not a moratorium on rent. So, you know, people with $1,000, let's say they have $500 rent, right? And they haven't been paying it for six months. All of a sudden, they're going to have a $3,000 bill that they have no money to pay. And then they're going to end up in short-term motels. Like, um, you know, at, at some point, like, We've been playing a hide. He's been playing hide a cup in order to have to, to have things look better for his reelection. And if he does get reelected, we're going to be looking at a zombie apocalypse come January or February, unless we figure out this eviction thing. People are going to lose their houses. And those are the same people, though, that are out here. Some of those people are the same people who are out here supporting him to the you know ride and die. And one thing I will say, right. That's absolutely true. I have always thought that when a lot of these people are screaming Trump, right, where you, me, and the rest of the world kind of can sometimes take that as reflecting on their character, their hate, you know, hatefulness, whatever. A lot, there's a significant percentage of these people that are really saying help when they yell Trump, right? They need help. And they're farmers. They are essential workers. They are people that often live in the margins of society, right? And they need help. And they're not getting it. And because they're not getting it, they're blaming things like affirmative action and like buying into this whole city versus rural nonsense. And, you know, these people need help. If we lose American farmers, how on earth are we going to feed ourselves? And they are hurting. Right. They are hurting. But then again, last night and this morning, I saw a group of farmers on talking about the fact that, you know, they're so happy because, you know, Trump. Has, has bailed them out, but he didn't even bail them out. No, he, what he did was, you know, put a bandaid on a bullet wound, right? He, 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 he kneecapped them by ending their Chinese market for soybeans and corn, right? For ethanol purposes. And, you know, soybeans used to be a, you know, the price of soybeans has been high. So has the price of coin, corn recently because of ethanol, right? And then he, he crashes in the market, gives them a minor subsidy, right? And they're like, okay, thanks, please, sir. We want some more, right? Not knowing that they weren't adequately helped and that a competent president, right, who working with Congress could do much more for America's farmers because we've got to make sure that every family farm in America doesn't become a friggin' housing addition because that's a national security problem. And so we have to come in and help these people. One thing I really want Democrats to focus on, right, is we are not going to be them. Right. We are not going to say when something terrible happens in a blue in a red state, oh, they didn't vote for me. Who cares? We're going to help these people because they are Americans. They're our brothers and our sisters. Right. Have they been let off a cliff by a talented con man? Sure, they have. And it's our it's our responsibility to fight tooth, nail and claw to bring them back to reality. Well, I think it's one point that Biden did make last night over and over again when he had the chance. He kept saying, I will be the president for you, even if you don't vote for me. I believe that about Joe because that was true of the administration, right? And, you know, part of the reason we're here where we are in COVID is because they thought it was a blue state thing back in the day. And I said at the time, I think they'll find this a whole lot less funny when the red states come along behind them, right? Red state America does not understand when blue state America gets a cold, right? Red state America gets a flu, right? We don't have the resources here. We don't have the hospital beds. We don't, we are not, we don't have the medical talents in sufficient numbers. 
here in, in rural red state America to withstand something like this, right? So they've been taught forever to, to be afraid of the cities and the coastal dwellers and all the rest of it. What needs to happen is the coast needs to stop being so darn arrogant, right? Pulling, help these people come back from the brink, right? Most of them we can sit down and have a normal conversation with, even if they disagree on abortion, or even if they think we're out to take their guns, which we're not. So we have to get realize that abortion is not in the top thousand issues facing this country. It just is not, right? It is not. I realize that some people have a strong feeling. I go to church. I have the same religious belief. I don't get to cast it out on civil society, right? And overturning Roe is not going to ban abortion. It's just going to make it, it's just going to take it to the back alley where it used to be, right? So, you know, I think we have to rise up above abortion politics and also realize that even if Joe Biden wanted to repeal the Second Amendment, it isn't ever going to happen because of how hard it is to amend the Constitution. And, you know, even if he wanted to take everybody's guns, which he doesn't, there are 300 million of them, right? And I don't understand how the government repossesses 300 million objects. It's not going to happen. That's definitely not going to happen. Well, most of the time, John. So final thoughts, your last closing remarks on last night's debate. I think we saw Trump and the Trump America on full display. And I think Trump voters got what they paid for last night, right? Some of them are thrilled. Some of them are horrified. And some of them are throwing their hands up in frustration, right? And I think what they need to look at is the same conversation Democrats had to have about Bill Clinton back in the day, Right. You have to say the behavior is unacceptable, right? The behavior last night was unacceptable, right? And we're better than this. I know Trump voters are hurting. I know red America, rural America is is hurting. I live here, right? They're fighting a daily battle against extinction, right? And um, we, we can do better than this. And one of the ways that we need to do better is people on the coast need to come out and experience rural America, what they call real America or whatever, right? They need to understand that people are like them. In the same sense, rural Americans need to get to the city and realize that they can go to a city without their guns and be okay. They can go to a city and not get mugged. And that Antifa isn't going to harass them because Antifa isn't a real thing. It's a group of people in Portland that have an idea. I, I agree with you, and I agree 100% with you when you say the one thing is that we need to not just go to rural America or go to suburban America. We need to just be able to sit down and have a conversation again. I mean, there's no reason why one person can't speak to another, yet we have now completely closed the door of conversation. And I think that was what was shown so clearly last night that one side doesn't want to have a conversation. One side only wants to talk to themselves. And that one side doesn't remember that it took all of us to get here. It's going to take all of us to get out of here. Well, we're out of time. So I got to say thank you so much, John, for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel. Make sure you tune into the next Free Thinking with Montel.